Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Since no one else talked about worship, I'll talk a little bit about it. <laughs> I was wrecked. It was, uh, it was beautiful, just so much uh, of God's presence and His glory. And with this week's portion, uh, our portion is teruma, which is, well, it's a word that really doesn't have a good definition in English. Um, some translations would say, be like a contribution or a gift or a portion. Um, but what it really comes from is the root word uh, room, which is to lift up or to elevate. Okay, And so it's, it's something that's lifted up um, for a purpose. right? And usually for a purpose that is... Uh, in this case, in this this portion, would be a purpose lifted up for God's purposes. And there's so much in this portion that we could talk about. And I had a, a couple of thoughts on what direction we might go. And so I was just praying for the Lord to, to show me what the direction was going to be this morning. And in worship, it was just abundantly clear and I feel like the, the message today is our best for the king. And I was thinking about um, all kinds of things. But one thing is I was remembering one of my favorite songs growing up uh, was The Little Drummer Boy. Okay. Oh, you too? Yeah. All right. So I'm not alone. But The Little Drummer Boy was one of my favorites growing up. And still when I hear it, I'm just moved by it. It's not like it's a complicated song or anything like that, but what it is, is a boy is coming before Yeshua, and he is standing there saying, what gift do I have that's fit for a king? I have nothing that is fit for a king, except I know how to play my drum, and so I'm going to play my best for him. And that's what he does. He stands and he offers up what he can to the best of his ability. And at the end of the song, you know, it says, and then he smiled at me. It wasn't riches. It wasn't like, it probably wasn't the best drum solo ever. (laughs) But it was beautiful to the king. Because it came from the heart. Because it came from a desire to give honor to the king and to give him something that, you know, may not have been worthy for him, but it was worthy for him because of how it was given and how it was offered up. And so this week, that's what we start out with is the scripture saying, God saying, let the people take an offering for me, take a portion for me. And, you know, last week we talked about the importance of, of Torah and faithfulness and how God's Word applies to all aspects of our life. 
the religious aspect and the civil aspect. There's no dimension where God's Torah doesn't touch who we are and shape who we are into being his people. And as we come into this week's portion, Moses is on the mountain. He's gone up to uh, receive instruction from the Lord and to receive the two tablets with the commandments written on them. And we enter into this week, and I'm going to go ahead and read here from Exodus 25, and then we'll continue this thought. Exodus 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution, a teruma. From every man whose heart moves him shall you receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, uh, for the aphode and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. So when we are coming up to this week's portion, we come to these first few verses, right? We read Exodus 25, 8. They shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. And if you've been uh, walking with us for the past, I don't know, nine months or so, we've really focused a lot on this scripture as really a a vision for Emmaus Road, to make a sanctuary for God so that he may dwell among them. And when the scripture says um, among them, it, the word can be uh, also translated within them. Okay, so God in our midst and within us. And what we've said is within the vision of how we see this playing out, yes, we have a desire to have our own building, but that desire for an own building comes really behind what I think the real intent of, or what the real sanctuary that we're trying to build is, and that is the sanctuary that is within us, within our homes, and within our community. And those are the three areas that we're, we're focusing on. How do we create an atmosphere and a dwelling presence for God in each of these dimensions in our lives, in our homes, in our community? And so coming in today to talk about this is just exciting to, to think, okay, Lord, what are you doing? How are you growing this in us? You know, right now we have on Tuesday nights, we have our kingdom formation classes that we're, we're going through. And our focus right now is prayer because we want to establish prayer as a central aspect by which we establish what a kingdom life looks like and how we prepare our sanctuaries for this encounter, this relationship with God. And the way that this, the context of when God says, you shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among you or within you, is this context of let the people take a teruma, this portion for me. Those people who have a motivated heart, whose hearts moves him to bring this contribution for me. And then that is the soil from which this sanctuary is built this heart that's motivated and desiring God. And so, so we bring an offering to God to create a sanctuary for Him to dwell within us. And when we, you know, we, we can look at it here from the individual 
side, as we've said, and from the community side. But then there's also this long view of God's redemption and restoration that's taking place. You know, we start out in the garden with God's presence, walking there in the cool of the day with, with Adam and with Eve. And then we see sin come in and God's presence is lifted, right? And the garden is lost. And now we come to this point in the timeline of history and God's saying, I'm moving to restore what was lost because God's desire is to dwell among men. And so he says, okay, I'm going to place my sanctuary in your midst so that I can dwell among you. And of course, him placing his sanctuary in the midst of the children of Israel in this tabernacle is one step along the way. And then later on, it becomes a physical temple in Jerusalem. And then God's spirit comes and indwells man, right? And so now we, we have become a temple unto the Lord, not to replace the physical temple, but to come alongside and have these two dimensions, the physical aspect that will one day return, and then the, the spiritual aspect that manifests within us, within our spirits overflowing to our physical. And then ultimately culminating in the day that we look forward to when God dwells with man, and which is spoken of in Revelation 21. Three. This is after the messianic reign, after the thousand-year reign of Yeshua. The scripture says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Right? That's the restoration. And right now, we're, we're getting to participate in a, in a redemption and part of the restoration. And it doesn't end with us. Right? It's, uh, it's something that we are helping to bring forth into reality and then looking for that to be multiplied in those around us and in our offspring, right? Both our physical children and spiritual children. So we have something to pass down. Now, God tells Moses to take, have the people with motivated hearts bring this portion and make a sanctuary for me. And so you say, okay, you can imagine your Moses up there. And he says, make a sanctuary for me. And he says, okay, all right, make a sanctuary for me, for you. That doesn't sound too hard, except that you're infinite, transcendent, and even the highest heavens can't contain you. <laughs> so, so right now Moses has to feel a little bit overwhelmed to be, to be hearing God say this. But, that's what it says in Second Chronicles 6.18. So Solomon, after he had built the temple, after he had built the first temple, and remember Solomon is this wise one, right? Uh, and he says, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Right? So he's recognizing just, the majesty and glory of God, and how can, how can this building ever be enough to contain him? And it, the truth is, it, it can't contain him, and, and it's not really that he's looking for a house of bricks. Now, it has a purpose, but ultimately the purpose is to create a space for God in this world where we can commune with him, and then that can increase and grow to the fullness but now he encourages Moses and says, like everything that I show you, so shall you do it. So that had to take a little, a little off Moses' plate, right? Uh, 
where God was going to reveal to him everything that he needed to do. And so then in Exodus 25.10, God begins to give instructions of how this sanctuary is to be built. He says, They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make them, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on the, on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So a question that we would have here is, why does God start with the instructions for the ark? when he says, make a sanctuary for me. And then he begins with the ark instead of starting with, here's how you build the Mishkan or the, the tabernacle. He starts with the ark. And it's because the ark is the vessel that is to house God's presence here on the earth. And so the structure of the tabernacle exists for the sake of housing that vessel. Right. Now, within, within the ark, this, this is important, it's called the ark of the testimony, the ark of the testimonial tablets, okay? And so it's, it's focusing on, it's supposed to be holding God's word within it. And God's word, last week we talked about with the two tablets, with our vertical relationship, with, you know, dealing with our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships, and that his, his Torah is justice and righteousness. And in Psalm 89:14 the scripture says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And so the two tablets are God's righteousness and justice that are the foundation of his throne and then those are placed here within the ark and then you have the mercy seat over it and then God God's presence comes over the top of it. So God's word is within it and God's presence rests upon it. And from it, it's the place of meeting with Moses and communion with man. And also, I, I haven't mentioned this, but the, the Hebrew word for the testimonial tablets is ha'edut. Okay? Ha'edut is witnesses. They're the two witnesses. Now, are they the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation? Well, in one aspect, yes. But... Another aspect, not so much. But the thing is, all things are established on the, on the mouths of two or three witnesses, right? So here we have two witnesses that are declaring God's uh, character, his nature 
his instruction for man, standing as a witness to us of who he is and who we are to become. And this ark, the scripture says that it shall be overlaid with gold. It's wood overlaid with gold on the outside and on the inside. And it was made of three boxes. Okay, three boxes. There was an inner box that was made of gold, then which sat inside the acacia wood box, and then an outer box of gold that the acacia wood set into. So it was surrounded completely. And according to uh, the Talmud, they say, taking note of from the inside and from the outside shall you cover it. Rava said, this teaches that any Torah scholar whose inside is not as his outside, as in who is insincere, is not a true Torah scholar. Right? So we hear this, you know, with the teachings of the sages that the inside must match the outside, and it makes us quickly think of what Yeshua gives us as his instruction as well. Actually, he doesn't give it as instruction, but he is giving you a rebuke to some scribes and Pharisees who are not acting out of sincerity. In Matthew 23, 25 through 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I believe that he says, clean the outside, yeah, well, he says, clean, clean the inside first, right? So the outside may also be clean. He has no problem with the outside being beautiful, right? It's, does the inside match the outside, right? And so when we think about ourselves as a vessel that is, our, our greatest existence would be to house God's presence here on earth, right? And so the art gives us a picture of what that might look like, right? With the sincerity on the inside and the outside, God's word within us, and then his presence overshadowing us in a place of communion. And, and Paul talks about our body being a temple, right? You know, we, we said here in Exodus 25, 8, that God said that you shall make a sanctuary for me so I may dwell among you, or I may dwell within you. It's both, right? And it's so that we can well, so we can walk in greater relationship. But Paul notes this, and, and he says that we are, uh, our body is a temple. And even before I had come to think about what we were going to talk about this week, that thought had been running through my mind about our, our body is a temple. And I was thinking, am I treating my body like a temple? And I was like, no, I think I'm treating it a little bit more like a burger joint. And, and <laughs> it's like, oh, I think I need to kind of adapt the way that I'm treating my body, if, if, if uh, it's really a temple unto the Lord. But Paul brings up a couple of verses I'll read here. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? That's 1 Corinthians 3.16. And in the same book, chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, 
whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I think we're going to come back to that. Yeah, we're going to come back to that. Um, but so there's this temple that we are, and then that we are to live out of a place of having hearts that are seeking God in all, in all the dimensions of our life and really offering up our best to Him in whatever it is that we have to bring. And this week's gospel reading comes from the book of Mark. And to set the scene of what's happening here, it's the final days before Yeshua's crucifixion. And he is spending his time teaching in the temple. And during these last few days, it's at this time that he pauses to watch people putting money into the treasury. Now, according to the Talmud, there were 13 money chests in the court of the women, right? Now, if you know the structure of, of the temple grounds, then the court of the women is not a court for the women. It's the court in which both men and women could come into, but women could not go further than that. There was another court where the court of the Israelites, where the men would stand while their offerings were being made. But, um, but in the court of the women, they had these 13 money chests. So men and women could come in there and they could place money in the offering chests and the offering chests were for various purposes. Um, six were for free will offerings and those those six, the, the free will offerings that those were, that were housed there were for the purpose of buying burnt offerings. So people would contribute towards, so they wouldn't necessarily have to bring an entire burnt offering on their own. Instead, the community could come together and put money into these, and then the money that was there would be used to purchase the burnt offerings, and the offerings would be given up unto God. So each of these people who'd placed money in it had a part in the offering. And so this, that's, that's the, the backdrop of where we are here. And in Mark 12, 41, Yeshua sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Yeshua saw that, these two mina that we would consider insignificant, maybe not even worth stopping to pick up on the, in, the, in the parking lot. He saw that as a greater gift than these large sums of money that people were giving. Because he said, you know what? She had a heart that was motivated to come and to give all she had. Because that was what was fit for the king. Right? And so she gave that out of her heart. And in the Mishnah, it says, it does not matter whether your offering is large or small, as long as your heart is directed toward heaven. Right. And how true is that? And there's another story from Leviticus Rabbah that says, once there was a woman who brought only a handful of fine flour, and the priest despised her. 
And he said, look, what is this she offers? What is there in this to eat? What is there in this to offer up? It was shown to the priest in a dream. Do not despise her. It is regarded as if she had sacrificed her own soul. That's a good rebuke, <laughs> right? But in the eyes of the Lord, that offering which seemed insignificant in the eyes of man was beautiful. And that just recalls 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on, on his appearance or on the height of his stature, speaking of, of David, because I have... Oh, no, I'm sorry, not of David. Of uh, This was of David's oldest brother. Because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right? So David's brother had all the physical attributes that would make you think this, this is the king, right? You can't find a better specimen. And God says, no, that's not the one. The one who is short and ready, that's the one I'm going to choose. And, and because he was looking at the heart of David and saying, no, David's the one who can lead my people. David's the one who will shepherd my people well. And, and so when we think about our best for the king, our best for the king isn't necessarily gold and silver, right? It's the best that we have to offer. And then letting him work with that to bring multiplication and to use it for his glory, to build something that will last. Um, there's, a, there's a story I, I've shared a few times. I'll share it again. But a number of years ago, this is a long time ago, we were in a uh, little small group, and within the group, we were going to read about the story of, of Yeshua feeding the 5,000. And the leaders said, okay, everybody, pick somebody from this story and identify with them as we read through this story and just see what, what God speaks to you in that moment. And so I was like, okay, well, what will I do? You know, wh who, which character in this am I going to pick? I said, Lord, who should I pick? And he said, uh, he said, you're the, you're the boy, the one who had the uh, five loaves and two fish. And, um, you know, we read the story and I was like, okay, well, Lord, why? You know, why did you say that? And he said, because you'll take what you have and you'll give it and I'll multiply it. Right? It's five loaves and two fish with 5,000 people. What's the point? How far is that going to go? But it didn't matter. It's the boy came and said, here's what I have. I have a heart to give to whatever it is that God is doing in this moment. And Yeshua says, that's it. That's enough. And he took it. Yeshua didn't look at it and say, look how insignificant it is. He took it and he blessed God for his wonderful provision. And it fed 5,000. How beautiful is that? Not to look at our lack, but to look at God's glory and his greatness. And to say, what I have, I'll give from a motivated heart. And I know, Lord, that you'll make it enough. You'll make it enough. And there's just a beautiful trust in that. You know, sometimes, sometimes we do get focused on the lack and it becomes hard to see the fullness of the provision or the good. 
Oh, but God sees differently than we do, right? And there was uh, an experience I had back in July of 2015. And uh, at the time, there was a lot of spiritual activity going on. And I was, I had been working through, uh, in my time of prayer, I was doing something called the temple prayer, which is where you essentially, in your mind, envision yourself approaching the temple and coming into God's presence and praying before him, right? And so within it, I would envision coming to the steps of the temple and going up the steps and thinking about how the steps weren't of consistent dimensions to where you actually had to kind of speed up, slow down. You had to be mindful of what you were doing as you're coming up, approaching God. And then, you know, coming into the courts and coming to the, uh, the labor and washing the hands and the feet and going to the altar of sacrifice, then going into the holy place and coming to the menorah, the showbread, and at each point just praying and thanking God for what he's doing and coming to the altar of incense and just envisioning this and at each point praying and thanking God and interacting with him, just seeing what he's going to share. And I saw the, the, uh, the curtain and I went over to it and I lifted up the corner, right? That's not exactly how the temple worked, but this is how this was working out. <laughs> And, and so, but I lifted up that corner and it's like, okay, well, see, the Holy of Holies is not a place that man enters into, right? The Holy of Holies is where the high priest entered once a year on the Day of Atonement, right? The, um, and so man doesn't go in there. But anyway, and I opened it up and somehow, I don't know, I don't know how it was, but anyway, I, I felt invited in and I, I came in and, and I see, Okay, so I walk in, and, and over to my right is where I know like the ark would be. But the ark's not there. Instead, I see a man seat, seated, and he's, he's writing. And, uh, and he doesn't look up. He's just writing. And I walk over, and I stood in front of him. And I... And, I uh, wish I knew exactly the details because I didn't think about, I thought about this on my way driving in. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to share it, then I'll just share it to the best of my rec recollection. So that's what I'm doing. Okay, so I'm standing in front of him and he's just writing, he's not looking up. And I think this is how it goes, that, that I, I ask, what are you writing? And he says, the story of your life. And uh, so the story of your life. And I thought, oh man, story of my life. Yikes. All the failures, all the things left undone. And I said that. He goes, no. I'm writing what you're going to do. I'm writing what's to come. 
And it was just like, whoa. He doesn't see it the way I see it. He sees who you are and calls you to become who he made you to be. He says, what I've given you is I've given you life. I've given you what you need and I'm writing a future for you. And now it's for you to come along and walk in it. And uh, so I came away from that being like, wow, that was, that was really something. And I, and I thought, well, was that all just my imagination? You know, because you kind of wonder, was that all just my imagination? Well, that night I went to a, a prayer thing and the guy who was leading it is a prophetic guy. And he came up and he started to uh, pray over me. And he goes, he goes, I see the father and, and he's, he's building. He's so busy building. He's not even looking up. He's just building and building. He said, I asked him what he's doing. He says, I'm building Chris's life. And it's like, <laughs> but it's just like, that's what he's doing with each of us, right? Is he says, I have a plan and a purpose for you. I've created you to be my sanctuary. My desire is to dwell in you, to have my spirit within you, to write my Torah on your heart, to transform you into my wonderful creation so that you can go forward and you can give a gift fit for the king because I'll take it and I'll multiply it. I'll use it for my kingdom purposes and it will be for something that will last. You know, when, when Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians 3, he was talking about the, the body of believers when he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but is only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So he was talking about, you know, he's talking about the entire body, the community being that God's building, God's temple, and that precious stones are poured into it to build it up, right? It applies to the individual as well of we take what we have and we build upon what God has given us. And the work that we bring before God that is out of the heart and out of a desire to be in relationship with him to serve him that is the work that will last that is the work that will not be consumed and it will pass down into the generations to come right we don't just live for ourselves we don't just do this for ourselves and as we were saying the blessing over the kids earlier and i was looking at all the wonderful lives that are right there that's part of the multiplication of what god's doing in our midst it's part of the, it's a key part of the multiplication of what God's doing in our midst. And so, 
when we come together to bring about this vision of creating a sanctuary for God, to creating the atmosphere for His presence to be both in our lives, in our homes, and in our community, we each have gifts to bring and offer. And they may seem insignificant to us, but they matter, especially where there's a need, right? You may say, oh, you know what? I'm not really gifted in this area. I can only give a little bit, and the need is so great. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's what can you bring for the king and see what he's going to do with it. So many times, it's when we don't feel like coming here on Saturday, when we don't feel like coming on Tuesday night, when we don't feel like doing something, that really the greatest blessing is waiting there when we do go and walk in it. Because part of the reason why we don't feel like going is that, well, there's a part that doesn't want to see God's plan come to fruition, right? Not within us, per se, right? But external forces that can be even working upon us to keep us from going, saying, how can I put a snare or a stumbling block in front of you so that you won't go forward, right? But we press on, and we see what God does and how He moves on our behalf, and then actually blesses us as we were going out to seek to be a blessing, And one other thing before we, before we wrap up here. I want to talk about Yeshua's teruma. Right? So we bring a teruma, a portion and a gift unto God. But Yeshua brought a teruma as well. And I'm going to keep this brief. We talked about teruma, the portion, the, the gift given out of a motivated heart, and how its root word in Hebrew is room, which is to lift up. Okay? And when I think about Yeshua bringing his gift unto God and his best unto God, I see him lifting up his life and giving up his life to God. In John, uh, okay, actually, let's, 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 let's look at two different gifts here. One, there's the gift of the Father. The gift of the Father to the world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God took His best and gave it to the world. And then Yeshua took that which was given to Him, which was, a life here on earth, and he offered it fully up to God, right? He lived completely faithful unto God in every dimension of his life, giving himself over even to the point of death on a cross. And in John, um, in John 12, Yeshua says, now, now is the judgment of this world, and now, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what, what kind of death he was going to die. But again, it's this, the word of, if I am lifted up, if I am lifted up, if I am room from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And this is in connection 
it's, <laughs> the connections go all the way even to the, the ark and the flood. But Yeshua was lifted up. And I'll, I'll, another little side note, with this lifted up, it's the same word that's used to describe when the ashes are lifted from the altar as part of the sacrificial service. Right. So here's Yeshua offering himself up and being lifted up, an offering of, of his own life for mankind. And really he's giving his best for the purpose of bringing a people unto God, to bring them into relationship with him, to pave the way for the Holy Spirit to be given, the Holy Spirit that will come and make us into the vessel of God's presence here on the earth, right? And so when we get to go forward in this, we get to say, Lord, what, have, what all have you given to me? You've given me gifts far beyond anything that ever could have been expected. But it's out of your great love and desire to know me, to know us, to have your presence here, to have you dwelling among us, that you've done all these things. And so now, how can my heart not be motivated to go and to give back to you for the great love you've given to me? And remember, as we do it, it's not about how big and how grand the gift is. We can give great, big, grand gifts, but it's really just about the heart that's coming and saying, God, here's what I have. Here's what I can give to you and have him smile and be pleased as his child is coming to him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and goodness, the mercy and compassion that you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, that you desire to dwell among man and within man, that you want this intimate relationship with us, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, Lord, that you've made us a vessel to house your presence. We thank you for your word that's been written on our hearts and your spirit that dwells and overshadows and rests upon us. We ask, Lord, that you would renew our hearts and our minds to serve you with motivated hearts, with joy, with your eyes, Lord, that doesn't see the lack but looks at you, what provision you can bring and the potential, what you've written for us. I ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us. Strengthen us by your spirit. And we give you thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.